Hello and welcome back to another episode of Secrets Behind the Music Business. I'm your host, Barry Victor, and today we have with us a special guest, Chinwa Green from Downtown Music Publishing, and he is the Digital and Video Operations Manager. So how you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Barry? I'm doing good. Thank you for uh, taking this call with me today. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. Thanks for making the time for me as well. All right. So just to jump right into it, can you give us a background of yourself within the music business and how you got into it? Sure. Um, it's a little bit of a winding road, um, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, in college, I sort of fell into an opportunity to DJ around campus um, somewhat serendipitously. And from there, um, I would play campus events, off-campus events, um, and radio. And that's where I kind of, where the seed was planted um, in my mind that perhaps I would want to pursue a career in the music industry. Um, so flash forward a little bit, I, I, I worked abroad for one year in Spain. And when I returned to New York, um, I began my search. Um, fortunately, you know, due to timing and place placement, um, I found my first um, full-time music industry job at um, EMI Music Publish EMI Music Publishing. So this is um was I should say um, one of the major music publishing companies, um, which has since been acquired by its competitor um, Sony ATV. Um, but uh, I started as an A&R assistant at the music publishing company. Um, was there for about a year and a half. Um, I was laid off, you know, in the as a, as a result of the acquisition. Um, and that's where I realized that um, the future of the music business is is is, is obviously changing. Um, that consolidation had a real impact. It had an impact on me. And um, that the future was also, I think, increasingly digital. I was beginning, beginning to see that. Um, my next stint was um, at a very small startup. At the time, it was called Indie Music, spelled I-N-D-M-U-S-I-C. Um, and Indie Music, in a nutshell, um, managed the music content for independent labels and other music content creators. Um, so they were essentially the go-to YouTube guys for uh, a number of independent labels. Um, their claim to fame, so to speak, is um, that they monetized um, the Harlem Shake um, on behalf of Mad Decent, um, their label client at the time. And actually, that's how I learned about that opportunity. Was um, prior to reading, you know, just this one article on 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 um, an industry trade website, um, I had no idea that um, I didn't really put two and two together in terms of YouTube being a website that is not only purveying content and is not only a social media website where anyone can um, provide their own content but it can also be a source of revenue, not only for businesses, but also for individuals through advertising. And so this was kind of um, something of a revelation to me that um, monetization um, could occur on, on this website, on this platform, on YouTube, and also specifically, you know, in the music world. 
Um, and so I jumped on uh, that opportunity to um, work with indie music. And that's where I got my start with regards to um, knowing, um, I guess, building my, my knowledge base and expertise on YouTube music rights management. Um, and from there, I transitioned back to music publishing, if you will, but at the same time, incorporating um, um, my, 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 my skills in YouTube rights management um, to where I am now, which is um, downtown music publishing and song trust. Okay, so before indie music, you had no previous background of how technology impacted the music industry. Were you more focused on the DJing or being an A&R for songwriting and then this happened and you kind of fell in love with that? Did it like shift your career in a different direction? Absolutely, I, I would say so. Um, at EMI Music Publishing as an A&R assistant, um, that is a world where um, uh, our team was working closely with um, award-winning songwriters, up-and-coming songwriters, um, trying to get their the, the 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 product of their you know hours and hours of laboring in studios and collaborating with other artists and other writers, trying to get those the fruits of their labor onto hit records. You know, ultimately at the end of the day, um, and if not on hit records, then maybe on a hit album, and then if not on a hit album, maybe in um, a significant um, advertisement or or um you know if you talk about synchronization licensing um so that that world is is that description that i just gave you isn't as connected to the digital space as as what i do now so i i would agree with you barry yeah okay so when you talk about the company's downsizing with that was that a result from physical record sales going down yes i, I would say that definitely was one of the reasons um effectively i mean to be sure consolidation um is something that has happened in the music business for decades um perhaps in you know the early 90s um before i you know had a professional career in the business um there were maybe six labels that would be considered a major label and by the time i started there there were four and then you know two years um down the road um the the big four um labels effectively became the big three um with um you know one of the major publishers um folding into um uh, another major publisher um and that i would say is, could could largely be attributed to the um rapid change in in the consumption model um in the mid to late 2000s I would say broadly, we were definitely definitely in a space where um, downloads were not quite um, replacing, if you will, um, the decline in physical sales. Um, and physical sales were definitely declining. And I think if you think about it in terms of logistics, um, what that means for large companies or even smaller companies as well, um, in terms of a supply line, you know, um, adjusting shipments into decreasing numbers to physical stores and maybe, you know, s switching staff and personnel um, more into digital marketing so that they can get um, 
their their songs um on the front page of iTunes for example um so if you i guess i'm what i'm doing is just giving a few maybe real world type scenarios that were going on um during that transition that um must have been a challenge to address as as a business and at the end of day factor that um really digital downloads were not um picking up for the decline in physical so uh, i would definitely say that consolidation was in large part due to um a change and decline in consumption yeah and i feel like we still haven't been able to um to recover from that so i think everybody's trying to adjust to the new platform and streaming and things like that and it may take some time but um as an employee of downtown music publishing and song trust can you tell the people who are listening who maybe don't know what those two companies do and also how they are different of course right um downtown music publishing is um an independent music publishing company um song trust is a publishing administration platform um we are sister businesses or brother and sister businesses um there is a very strong um overlap in terms of the staff that some staff um uh, are work on both ends if you will um and there is a lot of overlap in terms of um song trust may do a certain business process for downtown and um you know maybe a downtown client may transition to being a song trust client and um and so so there's all this to say that there's a lot of overlap but um in so far as the consumer is concerned or as the rest of the industry is concerned kind of on the outside um downtown music publishing is what you think of when you think of a more traditional music publishing company um that's you know has all the bread and butter elements of um we sign writers in publishing deals um we pitch um our songwriters um songs um to film television and 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 advertisements um for synchronization licensing um we collect um mechanical royalties and we um collect um the publisher share of um performance royalties etc um and so that's kind of what i just described is um pretty standard when it comes to the definition of a music publishing company um song trust on the other hand um fulfills most of those functions um the tweak is that um song trust is more of a platform um meaning really anyone can sign up to song trust um and for a flat fee there is um a one year um standard uh, publishing administration agreement that kind of applies to um anyone who signs up with song trust and what they'll get is that same one year publishing administration deal um they'll they'll receive you know um mechanical royalties that are due to them um song trust will um collect and process those royalties um they'll also collect performance um and it's 
really more cut and dry and for lack of better words um, more one size fits all um and it's um it's 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 less complex uh it allows for more flexibility really um so if you think of one way to think of it is you know you could be someone who is um really building traction on social media maybe very but has a, a regional sound you know anywhere in the world because you know SongTrust does um collect internationally as well um so you know any part of the world um you could be someone who is as an artist um you know building some traction regionally um maybe they're getting maybe you're getting some label interest from a local label or um a an independent label maybe a major but perhaps um you want to play a bit more of the long game um in terms of uh you know seeing what what other um label deals are out there um seeing if it makes more sense to be independent for a little while um uh, seeing or finding just finding the right label deal so you know right now i'm talking about someone who's an artist and looking for a label deal but perhaps in the interim um kind of months are passing years are passing while this is being figured out um song trust which is you know publishing administration that same person in this same example um could could um really just sign up with song trust in a one-year deal um and you know see kind of what royalties come come from it um and you know it's it's it, it because of that lack of com complexity um that artist kind of has 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 the ability to do that yeah so that kind of leads me back to one of the statements that you said about sometimes uh, a dmp client might move over to song trust what would be the benefit in them doing that since they won't be receiving as much hands-on assistance as they would with dmp is it because they can receive a bigger share of the pie if they move to song trust would that be the reason for them switching over right um and apologies if you hear any noise um it's hard to find a quiet space in new york <laughs> no but um problem. yeah um i would say it isn't common I will say it isn't common. It could it could become um, it could be a case of strategy. It could be a case of fit, um, you know, or 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 just to start over. Um, I would say it, it doesn't happen often th those specific scenarios, um, but it could be a case of strategy and fit between um, either party. You know, on one side you have downtown, the other side you you have a client. Um, uh deals come in different shapes and sizes um especially in downtown uh, and deals uh, i guess artists or songwriters um or music creators um also come in different shapes and sizes and sometimes um you know a decision is made that um they 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 want to do i guess i guess go forward with a different strategy or um you know it 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 this particular deal didn't um satisfy both parties um so it, again it, it 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 is um not quite com as common um but it isn't out outside of the realm of possibility for that 
for that to happen. Um, just off of the basis of it being a fit for both parties. Now, if someone wanted to work with DMP to handle their publishing, what would they need to have in place to even be considered? Um, this is a challenging question for me to answer um, because I have, for all intents and purposes, um, put my A&R days behind me. Um, uh, so I may have a certain opinion about what sounds good to me. But um, perhaps the rest of the office doesn't trust my opinion in that regard. Um, no, but um, broadly speaking, downtown, um, I think, has I think what uh, I'm talking about maybe it's just mm -hmm. based maybe just based on statistics. Does that mean they they might have to have a um, specific track record, or maybe they have to have at least one song that's been spinning on terrestrial radio? What would be the right. metrics? Right. Right. Um, the music industry at large obviously has been transformed by um, the increase in digital consumption, you know, the jump from um, CDs to downloads, but also specifically the jump from downloads to streams. Um, if you think about how many more streams it takes to kind of make the equivalent of one single download, and yet um, you know, broadly speaking, I think in the last two years, we've seen an increase in overall global con consumption revenue. Um, and so the landscape has changed because it means that there people are streaming so, so much that it's um, actually helping to increase, to lift um, overall global revenues. Again, generally speaking, even though digital downloads are decreasing. Uh, so yes it, it becomes kind of uh, a different game in terms of looking at numbers assessing um a, a track record etc uh, and i think that does um inform um downtown's um um i guess client strategy or um client pipeline strategy um they we have um in the past couple of years i think really leaned into um doing deals partnering with actually clients who are who would be considered to be marquee clients um um we have done deals with um ryan tedo um of one republic as well as um benny blanco who is um a pretty prolific um pop producer um and i think this is this has been um a, kind of a, a a growing segment of our business strategy um but of course this is not to say that we don't work with um songwriters or uh have interest in songwriters who are you know for lack of a better term more up and coming uh, i just bring in that context um to say that um that that's also in the mix um um that downtown is not strictly a company that um kind of looks out for um up and coming ta talent or someone who may be writing the writing the next hit but you don't know it we do do that but um i think uh one of the pillars of our strategy is actually looking at maybe catalogs um just you know smaller publishing companies that may um kind of be uh, may have been based in you know northern italy 
and um um you know their their current deal is expiring or something and and then we just pick that up with some sort of business arrangement so so uh, you know i'm just bringing broad broader context um to 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 our overall strategy um to answer your question though specifically um it, it's it really is tough for me to say um obviously it helps if you do have um something going on in terms of um music released um something going on in terms of uh a sensibility about yourself as a songwriter um and i think that game and and even now i'm speaking a bit more into my emi days but um that that game um if you will of um making the rounds being known having a profile as a songwriter um has traditionally come up more in whom you're collaborating with so that's something to keep in mind as well you know if you find yourself in in a benny blanco camp or in you know a ryan tedder camp and by camp i mean just you know if you if you write with them even if you're just in the room and kind of building that connection with um uh a more established songwriter that has um some value in and of itself um that is that may that's probably separate actually from evaluating your the streams of the product of your work especially if you are a songwriter or producer who does not have an artist career and so there's not like a um a open platform you guys don't just take songwriters demo submissions um i know of no um submission platform on the downtown side okay all right so my next question is should indie artists who have no sales in other countries does it still make sense for them to sign up with song trust and why if so i'm sorry i, I missed the first part of that question would you mind saying that again so if you're an indie artist but you don't have any sales in any other countries does it still make sense for you to sign up with song trust and if so why because my understanding is that the um, pros will collect your income domestically but they don't collect it abroad so there may be other societies that are collecting money but ascap and bmi can't get access to that and that's what song trust is for because they have those reciprocal agreements so they can register you with all of those pros that they have relationships with but if you don't have money waiting for you in those other countries because you have no fan base out there should you still sign up with song trust or do you think there's like a, a, a certain amount of money that someone should be collecting or maybe um have a projection what i say of what the possibility is before they sign up with song trust or should you just jump into it as soon as you start putting music out right this is um this is a good question um and thank you for explaining it to me um i think creators do i i brought i'm i'm of the philosophy that um creators do need to prioritize um you know the creation process like making their craft um continually working on something especially if you're a songwriter um kind of the practice of iteration um of of just 
creating kind of a, a catalog of demos, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, um, you know, just, just doing it. Um, I think that is, should, should broadly speaking be, be the focus. But of course, at, at some point, um, that there's the question of, um, well, does it make sense if I don't have anything out yet? Or does it make sense if I just have this one single, um, I didn't really promote it, um, you know, I re released it completely independently. And um, to that, I would say, no, there isn't, there isn't a need to immediately um, sign up you know, with um, a service like SongTrust or, or any music publishing um, service. Um, but at the same time, due to um, the flexibility of, of SongTrust um, um, terms and, agree, uh, and its agreement, um, it doesn't tie you up. So there's also that that's kind of the um, the other the other side of that argument, that internal argument. Well, is it too early? Is it not? Um, the reality is that um, it the 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 opportunity cost of, of registering the song trust, fortunately, is not so great for most writers um, that um, it would be detrimental. Um, but at the same time, you know, if I think I think at the end of the day, um, most creators do know, you know, what stage, like kind of have a sense of what stage they are at in, in, in their, in their budding career, meaning, um, I'm just working things out right now, or I'm ready to release my own project. Um, or, um, perhaps I, I, you know, I do need to take a, a bit more time, um, just finding the, the right set of demos. Um, so, so I think you, the the answer to that, the real answer to that question um kind of lies closer to each individual songwriter so i i wouldn't come out and say i won't go so far as to say that anyone who has a few demos lying around um should you know sign up with um song trust immediately um but at the same time um if there's a plan in place, um, if you if you as a songwriter feel good about your songs, um, if you feel if you if you know that um, you've written with um, more successful artists or more established artists or more established songwriters, and you know your your co-writes could be out there in the ether, that is definitely a scenario where um, you know it wouldn't hurt to seriously think about. Um, signing up with 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 song trust got it so it's just based on where the individual is at that point i would say so okay now um when it comes to song trust and how they pay out are there thresholds when it comes to receiving money and what is that for people who are interested in signing up but they're like i probably won't make a, a hundred bucks off of my project when i release it so I don't want to necessarily sign up because of the cost and I'm not going to get that money back quick. Is there a um, threshold that is based on a number of sales that people should know about or, and then is there a time frame like three months before people get paid out? Right. Um, on the receiving end of things, I'm, I'm blanking on the specific thresholds. Um, I believe that that information is on our website in an FAQ section. Um, 
If not, it would be in our agreement, which you would be able to read um, just before registering. Um, so, so the answers are there. Unfortunately, they, they don't come to me now. Um, you know, my, I guess my, my corner of the office um, has been more about um, just YouTube rights management. So, um, pardon me if I'm, I'm not as up to speed on um, those specific questions. Oh no, no problem. I was just getting ready to switch over to that stuff anyway. So that actually transitioned to my next question, which is w working as a YouTube specialist. Can you tell us, because we talked about this briefly on the phone, working as a YouTube specialist, how is it different when you're an artist uploading something versus being a vlogger and uploading something? Right. Um, if you have a video on YouTube, a vlogger can upload a video. This video doesn't necessarily have music in it. An artist uploading a video to their channel, um, this video may or may not have music in it. Um, but if it does, if it does contain music, um, from a rights management perspective, from a copyright perspective, um, depending on um i suppose um your ownership picture of 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 the music that's in your video that you uploaded um you can have a few different and and sorry your partnership with youtube yourself as an artist um you can have a few different situations uh appear with with regards to um what happens to that video um so i think that that that's one key difference is that um really someone who wants to be a vlogger and then wants to be go about being a vlogger in a professional manner um they can partner with a multi-channel network uh they can partner with um just youtube directly and receive revenue primarily through advertising probably some through people who are subscribed to youtube red um and they may never they don't have to, by the nature of their work, intrinsically come into any um, rights management issues or they aren't necessarily missing out on any rights manage management opportunities. Whereas if you are um, a musician um, and you have a YouTube channel and you want to add content of your own to, the, to, to, to that channel, um, if you have music um, on the channel, um, you know, depending on how how you're situated on YouTube um, and how much of the song you own, um, your potential to earn revenue or your video can kind of be impacted in a few different ways. And so what are the um, common mistakes that people make when they're releasing their music on YouTube? Um, I would say if you are an artist, um, a, a primarily artist, sorry music artists um uploading content to youtube it's important to know that to find success on the platform um your ex your expectation of success on the platform um should be in line with what you're feeding the platform so to speak um and so 
as a recording artist or even a songwriter, um, you know, uploading videos of of yourself and your original compositions, etc. Um, you, you, it's 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 common to approach um, the platform as kind of the way how you see perhaps maybe some major label signees who end up on Vivo, which is um, you upload an official music video, um, perhaps you know you allocated a certain budget so you can hire a director, maybe some makeup, um, you set a time uh, on, on you know uh, two, three weeks, a month, two months in advance so that you can um, shoot the video. Um, and, and you have this product now that's an official music video, so to speak, where it's produced and directed. Um, and you know you've 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 mixed your music into the video, um, edited it down. You upload the video, and then what? You know, um, that approach does not. Um, I, I wouldn't consider it the, the the optimal way of feeding the platform. Whereas, on the other hand, if you have people who are vloggers or gamers or even booktubers, people who upload vlogs of them talking about and reading books. It's like a YouTube version. It's like a book club that happens on YouTube. You know, that that's also a community. Um, they um, tend to be more touch and go. Um, they upload every day. They talk directly to their following, um, meaning literally when they are creating content, they're facing the camera and saying, hey guys, how are you doing today? Um, and they may reference certain users who've left, who, who has left a thoughtful comment or a nice comment, you know, thank you such and such for um, your comment from my last video, or that's a very interesting you know, opinion of yours that you made from the last question that I had last week. So this is called being conversational. Um, uh, and it's also building kind of a consistent string of content um, that will keep um, your subscribers returning because um, you know they will have a sense that it's episodic, that um, they'll be missing out on something. Um, it's kind of it goes with the notion: if you build it, they will come. And so, um, I, again, to to contrast it with um, kind of the way some um, musicians may approach YouTube, um, where it's just an official music video that drops, and then there's no other content around that for maybe months. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you you've seen you've seen all these um, channels um, where you have uh, a recording artist or a songwriter's channel, and um, you look at all their videos; they're only kind of these polished, finished music videos. Um, they're great. But um, there is so much more that they could do around that if they really want to build an audience within YouTube. Um, so some ideas include um, uploading a trailer, a teaser trailer. Listen, um, actually, I have one example of um, Rebecca Black. Are, are you familiar with Rebecca Black, Barry? Yes. Yeah, I heard of Rebecca Black. Right, and so, you know, she has this, um, I guess, viral moment a few years ago 
um, with the song Va- Friday, rather. Right. And, um, you know, much to everyone's annoyance, so so to speak. <laughs> that was a general kind of reaction. Um, and uh, I think a couple of years ago, um, sh- we had a co-write, meaning one of our songwriters um, helped to write um, a song that she was releasing um, as, you know, um, I'm not sure if you were aware, but Rebecca Black um, is making quote-unquote real music now. Um, um, but no, it was interesting to see that because this is someone who had a big YouTube footprint in one moment, but um, in the years that had passed, actually, she had transitioned to more of a vlogger's type um, creator on YouTube who feeds the platform. So she knew all the tips and tricks and things um, uh, as to how to feed the platform, how to build an audience, you know, how to let allow that revenue stream to grow through incrementally adding content. Um, and so it, once you mix the, that knowledge that she had um, with she had gained, you know, since releasing that just one single video of, um, and mix it in with um, her renewed effort in releasing an official music video. Here's what you had. Um, you had the official music video to this song that she has. She made a teaser trailer then she made a, a longer preview trailer of the music video. Um, she made maybe a 10, five to 10 minute video um discussing kind of her her emotions um that she put into writing the song and into creating the video so it was just her in her bedroom you know um you know facing camera talking directly to her audience as to what why this what the song meant to her why it was why it was so important right so at this point i think we're at four or five pieces of content, you know, around this one official music video. And then um, she had the audio only version. So, you know, just the official single artwork and the song playing that probably came out just before the music video. And then I think maybe one or two behind the scenes type videos. So I say all this to say, she created almost 10 pieces of content, 10 videos um, around this one single main event of an official music video. Um, there, effectively, there is a way to um, be um, a, a musician and also kind of feed the platform in an incremental way that, uh, that does um, build a following, um, builds uh, your subscriber base um and build engagement on youtube it's just um you know it's a it's a different approach and it definitely takes more um uh, of a commitment to the platform so it seems like it just um keeps the fans engaged and it has something for them to continuously follow up on and so when you talk about her delivering stuff incrementally do you think that there are is a specific time or at least a time frame to do that before you lose the supporter's attention? Like, is she uploading them every two days, something new, or is this every week she's uploading something new? And also what I wanted to add in that was the quality. Is she shooting these scenes with a camera phone or is she setting up a DSLR camera and making the quality as important as the content? 
Right. Um, well, to frame my answer, um, I will say this. The one biggest thing I've learned, I've learned in um, four plus years, actually five plus years of kind of working in YouTube rights management and um, kind of social media slash music rights management is that um, consistency is more important than quality. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners, Barry, might cringe at, 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 at hearing that um, because there is obviously we, we love it when um, our um, songwriters, our artists, our musicians um, are good at their craft and you can hear the polish, uh, you can hear the confidence um, and, you know, that still has value in a place. Um, but when it comes to, um, you know, keeping a following engaged uh, in a digital world, in a social media heavy world, um, consistency actually wins out over quality. Um, but that being said, you know, there, if with a little bit of creativity, there are ways in which you can still be consistent without having to necessarily compromise in quality. It just, it's just about choosing your, ba your battles, meaning, you know, for the official music video, okay, it will take time to edit. Yes, it will be DSLR. Um, yes, it, you know, it may, it may, they, you may have to delay it a week or two because um, not all the pieces are in place yet. But perhaps, um, perhaps you as a music creator, um, have a cat or something that that you really like, um, and that that ends up kind of finding herself in your YouTube videos anyway. Whenever you shoot them in the bedroom, well, then maybe you can um make a, a side series about um your, your cat talking about your cat, um incorporating incorporating your cat into a part of your social media brand, um in a way that's still true to yourself, and um that kind of content which isn't as immediately tied to the music product, um, perhaps that could be shot on a smartphone instead of an, uh, um, you know, a DSLR camera. Um, and so it's, 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 what I'm saying is, I guess, um, you know, consistency actually does win out over quality in terms of this growing and engaged and authentic following. Um, but that being said, you can also kind of pick your battles as to, um, you know, what what um, aspects of your business as a music creator um, need to kind of be at a certain level, um, so to speak, a certain finish, and what other aspects perhaps don't and can be more touch and go. So if hypothetically speaking, if, if you were an artist getting ready to release a record, what are the first steps that you would take to make sure that you secure your music, it's protected, it's data optimized and it's monetized correctly. And like, what are some of the platforms and services that you would use to do that? Right. Um, in preparation to release a record, um, you definitely want um, to look into your publishing situation, music publishing situation. So I would say, um, you know, research song trust, um, you know, global um, music publishing administration, one year deal, um uh pretty cut and dry um so it's something to consider um uh 
there are also music di digital distribution um, services. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with a few of them um, that you know are similar in terms of being quote unquote one size fits all, um, but on the master side. And so this is if you want to go the complete independent route. Um, you have DistroKid, you have um, CD Baby. Um, uh, there, there, there are a host of di different digital distribution uh, services um, that and uh, that do have, and each one um, has a slightly different um, business model. Um, some, some offer, um, you know, maybe have a recurring revenue fee, um, kind of being an annual subscription fee. Um, or others may only take a percentage and actually take nothing up front. Um, so if you really dig into it, you'll find a lot of different digital distribution services. Um, and also pay attention to, um, you know, to which platforms um, would these services go. You know, um, not every digital distribution service will release on every platform. So if you are someone, you know, maybe, you are Albanian American. You speak the local language. You may, you know, release records in the local language, and you may have grown a following um, in Albania. But you know, you are based in um, downtown LA. Well, um, I don't know off the top of my head whether Spotify is available in Albania. You know, um, I know personally. You know, being Jamaican that um, Spotify isn't available in Jamaica, but Deezer is, you know, and um, Deezer is like a French based. So there is an association with it being kind of more European Eurocentric, but, you know, it, it's, it's just one of the many factors to keep in mind, basically. So, um, you know, pub admin, um, digital distribution, um, you you know, de depending on what kind of artists, um, uh, recording artists you are, you may not want to self-release. Um, you might want to, um, you know, if you have, if you haven't had one in, in, in place already, have kind of a profile um, on the road in terms of touring, or if you do have one in place already, um, or if you have, some existing metrics or track rec records management or um, relationships, perhaps you are able to shop your body of work to different um, labels, either independent or major. Um, um, you know, broadly speaking, I think if you ask all the people that you've interviewed um, on the, in the broadest sense, you know, what to do in terms of, um, security um when you're just starting out everyone's going to say um you know seek legal advice um a, a good lawyer um will keep all the t's crossed and i's dotted um a good manager helps as well um so i mean i i guess i i, I should mention that as well um in terms of how how reachable or how attainable or whether you as a as as a music creator just starting out um has that in place already um you know that that's a different conversation but to the extent that you can that's always um it's always kind of a, a starting point really mm -hmm.
And when you talk about reach and, and discovery, technology plays a, a big role in that. So when it comes to search engine optimization and metadata, for someone who was releasing their music on YouTube, how should the information be embedded or what type of keywords should be used in titles and thumbnails, things like that? Is there, do you have a particular view on how someone should approach that? Oh, right. Yes. How could I forget? That was a part of your previous question. Um, and I forgot to incorporate that into my answer. Um, well, before um, I get into the video aspect of things, it's, it is worth noting that um, there are different kinds of partnerships with YouTube um, and the different partnerships mean different things in terms of how you can, how, where your money is coming from on YouTube. So for example, um, you could be a recording artist um, or a songwriter um, who does not have a YouTube channel um, who has never uploaded, uh, you know, an official music video um, to YouTube and still, you know, make tens of thousands of dollars from the platform. And um, this is possible through um, a technology called Content ID that um, is kind of native to YouTube. Google developed it. And if you think of it as... I like to liken it to a Shazam of sorts in the back end of YouTube. Um, it's 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 a, an audio visual fingerprinting software technology, really. Um, uh, about 400 hours of new video content is uploaded to YouTube.com every 60 seconds, um, day in day out. 400 hours every minute. Um, and so in order to even begin to track, um, that content, um, in order to give people like film studios, television studios, you know, um, professional vloggers, record labels and publishers, um, a fighting chance in their capacity to control the content that they don't want on youtube.com, uh, and as an alternative, monetize the content that they do want on YouTube, um, content ID is a vital part of that puzzle um, that enables all those, you know, companies and individuals, um, copyright owners, really, of different sorts, um, to um, to detect where their content lives within that, you know, billions of hours of, of, of footage. Um, so... I say all this to say, what does this all mean in with regards to your question is 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 really that um the first thing to to understand is that um you could sign up um with a digital distributor and maybe they don't provide they don't have um their own deal so that digital distributor does not have their own deal with YouTube where they have access to content ID so what that means is Perhaps you're big in the gaming community. Gamers love using their music when they upload their gaming videos to YouTube. It means that, sure, you, you as a recording artist um, could upload to your own channel, but you would not be collecting on um, the use of your recordings on all those gaming videos um, if your label um, is not partnered with YouTube through Content ID. 
so that, that that's kind of one element of the YouTube game that's very different for um, recording artists and songwriters from just someone who's trying to make a buck from their own channel. Right. So you're saying there's a lot of money out there for UGC versus just uploading it on your own site. Well, to put in that qualifier a lot, that, that, that could be dangerous in terms of um, expectations. I will say that YouTube has paid out well over a billion dollars to across all record labels and all publishers, all in, in music alone, they've paid out over a billion dollars. Um, and I think, but that's been over a span of years. I can't remember which years. Um, so the, the, the broader pool, yes, on a macro level, it, it is a significant sum. But this is also, you know, accounting for Vivo videos, you know, for the Despacitos um, and the Justin Bieber's um, is included in that number. So for the individual, um, they may not see a lot of money um, if they don't have a footprint already existing on YouTube. But if you do have a sense that um, of people using um, your content in other areas or just in general or uploading live videos um it, it can be um a revenue source that's that's more impressive than you initially thought it to be even though you don't have your own channel got it okay so now your job title reads digital and video operations manager so outside of the the video management with youtube how else do you help artists progress in the digital space Right. Well, um, I've been positioning myself, um, you know, within the company to, um, in anticipation of any, um, music user. So any company that uses music digitally, we like to call them digital service providers, but that's kind of a very, it's almost a company specific term. So it might not translate as well, but basically if you think of the Spotify's, the Apple Musics, the Amazon Musics, um, and, and and so on. Um, I'm I've been positioning myself to manage the day-to-day -day, um, relationship to the extent that we can, because um it is it is true that for music publishing um you know the bread and butter mechanical royalties and performance royalties. Those um, are really already stipulated in agreements or already um, determined by copyright law, um, meaning that there is not much that can be done, so to speak, um, on the stream by stream level to 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 influence rates or you know I can't go into um, Spotify and um, you know, add metadata tags or, or tell my clients, um, you know, to, to tweak this and tweak that. Um, or, you know, I can't find a cover of one of our songwriters um, that is on Spotify that, um, you know, was on, somehow made it to a, a chill playlist on Spotify and just say, oh, that's where our co composition is. We need to get those streams, the publishing related to those streams 
in a one-click way um, on Spotify's backend. Um, and, you know, I, I don't mean to single out Spotify by any means. It's, I'm just using it for example. Whereas in YouTube, because we have a direct, um, very robust um, dashboard on the back end, um, I can do things like that, where I can kind of click through and say, um, this cover recording is associated with our client's um, copyright. Um, let's, you know, one click kind of activate that, that revenue, that royalty flow. Um, whereas with um, the digital side, um, with those Spotify's and Amazon's, um, there is not that 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 direct partnership or that direct kind of data rights management relationship isn't quite there. Um, it's um, I'm working in anticipation of um, different um, streaming services getting something closer to that. Um, but in the interim, I do um, oversee a small team that does work with intermediary companies like Har the Harry Fox Agency, um, like Music Reports Inc. Um, to ensure that the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. Um, and so, you know, the, the direct kind of data relationship isn't, isn't quite there um, with, with everything else outside of YouTube for the most part, but um, where we're kind of um, anticipate, anticipating that it will be somewhat closer in the years to come. And um, in the meantime, um, we're, we're kind of processing it the way that we can through these other companies. Okay, so just to clarify, what you're saying is there's just a lack of access to the data, but there is the technology there to do the content ID with inside of the Spotify and Amazon platforms. I would say, um, Transparency, there is still a level of transparency that is lacking um, in almost every digital music service to some extent, um, except for YouTube. YouTube has got it kind of the most right, quote unquote, in my opinion. Obviously, I have some level of bias because um, I was exclusively working in the world of YouTube um not for youtube but in that world um for 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 a while but i would still say i would still argue that um the amount of data and the amount of transparency um that youtube gives us directly and the way in which they pay us directly um as a rights manager um is um generally kind of a grade above um, most other, um, you know, music streaming services. Got it. So I, I want to kind of go back to one of the questions. I didn't, uh, get clarity on. I don't think we discussed it all the way, but just in terms of when you do release that, I want, I wanted to know how should an artist tag their music when they're putting it up. So if I have a new song coming out, do I just put in the title of the song in the tag area or should I be putting in genres? Should I be putting in names of similar artists when I'm initially uploading it? And should I be monetizing it at the moment that I upload it? And is that still possible? Because I've heard that now they have some sort of thing with YouTube where you have to have a certain amount of um, lifetime views on your channel. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Um, 
these are a slew of questions. So before I address them, the first thing I want to say is that um, for if you really want to dig in to um, the platform and kind of how to optimize yourself in various different ways, um, just go to the Creator Academy. Okay. Um, if you Google YouTube Creator Academy, um, you will find um, basically a hub of or a library of different mini courses um, that, that that show you all sorts of aspects about YouTube as a platform. Um, so, you know, 90, 99% of what you need to know um, in terms, by the way, of how do I build an audience? How do I make sure I'm making the most out of this video in terms of what boxes should I check on the preferences and what settings work, what settings don't work? Um, audio techniques that work for video on YouTube and audio um, video techniques that work and the, all, all of that is in this kind of hub at the YouTube Creator Academy. Now, so that being said, you know, that's kind of the main point of reference that I would um, point to for anyone who has uh, like a set of these questions. Um, but that being said, um, for tags and metadata, um, you, you want to be specific. Um, generally, you know, 10 to 15 different tags, you know, you're in a good place. Um, you know, at the risk of putting a hard number on it, because it really does depend to an extent. But once you're reaching into kind of 10 to 15 different tags, I think um, you're being specific, you're beginning to be specific enough in terms of SEO, um, you want to, you don't want to be misleading um, because YouTube has tried to build their algorithm such that if you have Justin Bieber as a tag and um, your music has nothing to do with Justin Bieber, you've never collaborated with Justin Bieber, so on and so forth, um, that that YouTube has designed their system so that that should adversely affect your SEO efforts. So um, you you want to be you want to be honest with yourself as to um, you know what this video is about. Um, so that's that's metadata speaking um, generally. Um, for the description, you know, meaning the text that appears right below the video and right below the title. Um, the first three lines of your description um, are key um, because they appear automatically. Um, once you click on it, um, you know you can you kind of the screen will drop down and you'll see all sorts of um, different. You'll have space. You know you can write all the lyrics to your song, etc. But just if you think about segmenting it from um, the first three lines of text. Um, Usually you want to describe what the music video is about in a nutshell on those first three lines. Then right after, um, you can add uh, social media links um, to, to drive um, you know, engagement on other platforms or on to the channel in general. Um, there are a host of things that you can do in terms of preferences on your videos. You can cross promote videos, meaning um, if you have a brand new music video that you know you did spend the budget on and that's polished and you want everyone to know about it um there are settings you can implement such that 
every video on your channel will have um, a little bumper that will say, you know, watch this new video. Um, so if someone's looking at one of your older videos or one of your vlog videos, they can be um, promote pushed to this new content that you have. Um, and that, that's really just the tip of the iceberg. The Create Academy uh, really goes into all these different options you have. Um, I, I would say, you know, titles are important as well. Thumbnails are important. Now they have GIFs integrated into thumbnails. So you, you, you want to, you can have custom thumbnails as well. Um, so you want to try and tell the story of what your video is about in a tiny, tiny thumbnail. Um, and so you should think about that um, before just choosing any still frame um, for your thumbnail. Um, these things do in, 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 in Unision do make a difference in terms of how clickable your video is um, and how long people stay around and how many people subscribe as well. Yeah. Got it. Those are some great tips. Okay. So I have two final questions and the first one is a two part cause it goes back to something you mentioned earlier about partnerships. So when you say you can partner with YouTube directly, or you can go with a multi-channel network, are there benefits to doing one over the other? And then the second part to that question is, are there any worthy multi-channel networks out there that artists should consider working with? Or is that kind of a thing of the past now? Right. Um, when I was working more closely, um, or when I was working for a multi-channel network, a music multi-channel network, I had stronger opinions on this. I think that um, in the years that have passed since, the platform has changed. Um, and so I, I would think the dynamics of um, the pros and cons have changed in suit. So I, I don't want to um, shoot myself in the foot by coming out with too strong of an opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, just to know that, um, you know, the specifics of the content um, threshold changes that have occurred, um, I think are very broad and change the expectations of people who are just getting started in, in YouTube. Uh, um, so specifically in order to begin, it's easy to apply to monetize, um, uh, to partner with YouTube. It is, it has become more challenging to actually be approved. Um, you need a minimum of 1000 subscribers on your channel and 4,000 hours of watch time in the last 12 months. Um, and I'll describe what 4,000 hours of watch time in the last 12 months means. It just means in, you know, um, the last 365 days, give or take, um, the amount of time that all the viewers um, on all of your content on your channel have spent just equal um, a minimum of 4,000 hours. So both of those conditions have to be met. The reason why it's framed around watch time instead of views is because um, 10 million views on a 45 second, you know, meme video or epic fail video is not really the same um, engagement story as 10 million views or the same amount of views on a two hour um, kind of chill music mix or funky house mix or, or you know, classic hip hop mix. 
those are two different stories in terms of actual engagement. So they use watch time, uh, YouTube uses and prioritizes watch time as the preferred metric because they believe it tells a, a more accurate story of how interested the audience is in the content as a whole instead of a view count. Um, so that's that that's my explanation about watch time. So um, those thresholds um, became live, I believe, two weeks ago from today, if I'm not mistaken. And no one is making money on YouTube if they don't meet those thresholds. And so I'd say this to say, you know, before even deciding uh, as to whether to partner directly or join a, an MCN, um, you do want to focus on your content because those are real, like, um, minimum requirements. Um, and you do want to, you know, I guess, have some level of hitting the gate running instead of, um, well, you know, I have this, I've, I'm waiting on YouTube to get back to approve my partnership, or it's going to take a while for me to even begin to make money. Just to level those expectations, um, I wanted to make that um, understood that these are new um, minimum thresholds. So now, the the MCN versus partnering direct directly question, I think it's it is very it's somewhat similar to um to the question of you know going indie versus signing to a major versus self-releasing. Um, generally, if you really think you have your own following um, and your own team, your own ecosystem, not only on the content end and on the community end, but also in terms of your capacity to produce content and your capacity to edit content. Um, this is one thing that uh, I think a lot of people from the outside may uh, misunderstand from these casual looking vloggers who are making millions is that creator burnout is 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 very real and that's because um the amount of time required for editing um for scripting or for coming up with ideas um and to do that consistently some people do it daily maybe every two days um you know year in year out um just to build momentum to a place where that can be your own job um you know that does expose you to risk of burning out and that's because you know there is some there is there is you know stuff going on behind the scenes in order to make the the, the content um kind of t take it to the next level um all those preferences that i described in the creator academy and all those tagging etc um do you have someone else that does that and help you helps you out with that are you paying that person you know so like that is a challenge that you would have to confront or overcome or have in place as someone who's partnering directly whereas depending on the multi-channel network um that you're looking at or you would be in business with they may be able to help you with some of those challenges um, there are multi-channel networks who give support with, and now I'm speaking broadly just outside of music, but um, it some of it does apply to music as well. There are multi-channel networks that that provide support with um, licensing outside music. So like, you know, you have access to music, just background music, if you're a vlogger, for example, or um, they give you access to maybe some recording space or studio space. Um, they, we, they may even... Um, 
get you um, brand partnerships that, um, so those are, you know, bags of money that come, you know, largely outside of the platform of YouTube um, that, 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 that a direct partnership would not be able to provide. Um, certainly on, not unless you're, um, you know, one of really the elite, elite channels who've partnered um, directly. But by the time you get to kind of the top 100 individual um, content creators, you're basically a business anyway. You may, it may look like it's just one person talking into a camera, but um, most of the times when, once you reach a certain level, you know, you have a small team with, to help with production, social media, and those kinds of things. Anyway, so that, that's kind of a chicken and the egg kind of scenario. But um, all this to say that um, different multi-channel networks do, you know, provide support with, um, it could be, you know, more advice like the ones that I gave in terms of, well, what strategy, what kind of content strategy is right for you? How often do you want to upload um, to like helping with metadata ideas? providing more in-depth analytics. Some multi-channel networks have their own analytical dashboards that run in tandem with YouTube's um, or that pull from YouTube's API and help you make sense of um, how you can improve and where you're doing well. Um, um, there's, the brand, there's the brand partnerships element that I mentioned. And um, I'm not sure, perhaps some yeah, you may be able to get funding from certain multi-channel networks um, depending on what your situation is as well as the multi-channel network situation. Um, in, insofar as recommending particular multi-channel networks, um, I'm hesitant because I really haven't um, been in day-to-day -day interaction with music-specific MCNs. Um, so, so I don't want to give... Um, any kind of um, bias that, that might be a bit outdated. But what I will do is um, point um, your listeners to um, the YouTube creator directory. So um, it's probably a part of the web section that's within the Creator Academy. But I believe if um, one were to search YouTube creator directory, um, that would be a listing of every business that is um, company certified, YouTube, meaning they've been certified by YouTube. They're, they have staff that have taken a certification exam in different areas of YouTube. So, you know, they have people who um, have proven themselves that they, they have a certain level of expertise on YouTube within that company. And so the, there is a whole listing of, of different businesses. Um, some of them are regional. You might find a music multi-channel network that's you know, primarily for Brazilian artists. Um, you might find one that's you know, based in Germany. Um, some, some, maybe some in India, um, you, you'll find us there. Um, so that is a good place to, to start because that list is pretty comprehensive and it has the goal of kind of being neutral okay and also while we're talking about youtube i just want to throw this out there um from what i know maybe about two years ago i think it was maybe if you had ten thousand subscribers on your channel youtube does have a studio and they actually let you use that studio for free once you have that minimum amount of subscribers i have a friend who who does web series and we were going there and she was shooting her web series shows there for free 
because she had a certain amount of subscribers on her channel. Right, right. Um, and it's it's important to note, uh, to piggyback on um your tip that these um YouTube studios um are located all across the globe. Um, they have one where I'm in New York City. They have a, a pretty substantial one in Los Angeles, as you could imagine. Um, there's also Berlin. Um, there's I think one in India, maybe one or two in Canada. Um, I believe two in Brazil, London, England. Um, so, um, you know, for anyone who's listening globally, um, it isn't something that's limited to the United States or the kind of the big cities in the United States. It's also, um, you'll also find access to that, those um, studios um, uh, across the globe. Um, uh, and again, and again, you know, another Google search um, to these um, YouTube studios um, will point you to um, that. That's sorry, right? They're called YouTube Spaces, rather. That so that's the official term. Okay. Um. So so you'll hear YouTube Space New York, YouTube Space Los Angeles, YouTube Space Berlin, so on and so forth. But um, it's really um a substantial facility for finding a room to record green screens um cameras but also programming in terms of lessons um you know how to tips um they'll also have you know since we're talking to for a music audience they do have music events maybe showcases um you know i've been to a couple of songwriter showcases as well that you know maybe some have been put on by a music publishing company or put on by um uh pro um so it's a host there are a host of resources um and it is true that um you only get access to these resources after you reach a certain subscriber level but i think depending on the space there are some events that are just open on a first come first serve basis so it, it that's another resource that um people can tap into okay so my final question is are there any emerging royalty trends that you see really opening up for artists that may have not been so lucrative before, but they are now starting to be something that artists can really tap into? Because I know one of them has been streaming. I see a lot of people talking about how streaming is really starting to make a difference now. But are there any other platforms that you see are going to be useful, if not now, in the future in terms of getting creators more revenue? Right. Um, I feel as though if I at a different time, um, other things would have come to mind. I, you know, I feel like there's something on the tip of my tongue that um, I'm missing. But what I do want to mention is that um, uh, Facebook and Instagram um, are two platforms um, that are positioning themselves um, to be platforms similar to YouTube. Um, in terms of um, people being able to perhaps partner with the platform, not only that, but also for um, that partnership to maybe extend to um, music partners and um, for maybe some um, revenue streams to be gained from YouTube and from Instagram and their respective um, video services in a similar way that I described for YouTube. So uh, I, I would say 
that is something to, to to keep an eye on for sure is that um you know everything i said about youtube about kind of building an audience monetization thresholds you'll probably you in the next couple of years you may see similar can't say if they'll be exactly the same or not um or how similar they'll be but i would i would expect some kind of similar um features um for um, creators who want to build revenue streams and musicians who want to build revenue streams. Interesting. I, I guess we'll know if we start seeing ads placed on Instagram videos and Facebook videos. Right, right. That'll be an indicator. And I know Facebook Live has been lucrative for some artists out there as well. So that's a good way for you guys listening out there. You can start using your Facebook Live because people are making money just from creating tip jars or having private concerts there's actually been people utilizing that that feature um so that ends my questions but are is there anything that you want to say that maybe that i didn't touch on or some something that you want to leave the audience with right um so as someone i i think i'll just um reiterate that really um what i've learned from this entire um social media and music rights management um field more than anything is that um consistency really does um win out over quality when it comes to building an online footprint um you know for better or for worse um yeah i think that's what i would leave everyone with great well, well thank you so much again for just supplying the listeners with this information i definitely uh would like to talk with you again in the future as things get more advanced and technology changes i feel like there's always going to be something new on the horizon that's going to benefit us as creators as well so again we just appreciate you for representing downtown music publishing song trust and yourself as well so thank you and uh we appreciate having you on the show thanks for allotting the time for me barry no problem we'll talk soon talk soon